Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture, improving company culture, and the resources that are out there to help as well. I am very excited for today's episode, as I always am. Before I jump into introducing the folks in the room, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Gateway Bank. We want to thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Gateway Bank is an amazing community bank in Arizona that specializes in serving small businesses across the valley and the country. And they've been just really amazing to support. We've actually had the opportunity to bring in their CEO a couple of times to co-host as well. And it's just really different. When you bank with Gateway, you don't have to call a 1-800 number for support or submit your loan application and wait weeks or months for an answer. You get fast personal service from a team who knows you and cares about you, which is really beautiful. So whether you need loan or banking services for your business, Gateway is there to help. You can visit gcbaz.com forward slash culture crush for details and a free consultation with bank president James Christensen, who will probably have on a pair of Converse when you talk to him. They're just amazing. (laughs) So as we jump into today's conversation, I feel like it's the start of a really bad joke. Four podcasters walk into a room. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. <laughs> and that's essentially what's happening today. We've got four podcasters on today. I say four because I have two beautiful guests I'll introduce, but I have also asked our amazing owner and producer of Phoenix Business Radio X to jump into the conversation with us today. The conversation is really going to hit on some, some beautiful pieces of life and transitioning into, you know, focusing on yourself and mental health and things like that as well. So before jumping in too much, I want to introduce our two lovely guests. In the studio with me, I have Matthew Blades. Matthew, welcome. This will be the voice that represents Matthew Blades as you listen to this. This is what (laughs) Matthew sounds like. Different than what Eric sounds like, which is, I'm guessing his introduction is next. Yes. Okay. And then the other uh-huh. one I have today, uh, who's virtual, is Eric Broker. Welcome. I'm so excited to be with you guys. We had this planned a few months ago, and I, while I was supposed to be in studio with you, and I'm grateful for the conversation we're going to have today. It's going to be beautiful. And I mentioned to both of you before we started I'm so excited for the synergy of matching the two of you. You're both fathers, you're both podcasters, and you're both on this journey of mental health, self-care, sharing with people that you're enough, that they're enough. We will have video and photos in a couple of spaces, so you'll see that Matthew's sweater says you are enough. That's going to tie into something in a little bit with Eric as well. A beautiful sweatshirt that anybody can pick up on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) There you have it. We'll add some links. Yeah, we'll add some links. We'll add some links. So as we get started, before we jump into this beautiful conversation of life and parenthood and how it all ties into company culture, that's kind of the, as my spin instructor would say, that's the roadmap if we want to take it. 
we may go rogue today, and I'm okay with that. Before we really dive in, I want both of you to give a little bit about you, who you are. Uh-huh. Just give us a little bit of background. Matthew, I'm going to start with you because okay. you're in studio and you're right in front of me. Yeah, see that, Eric? If you were here, you would have gone first. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, so what? What? where do you want me to start? I mean, I have give such a the, robust life. You I know. know. So give us, a, give us a little bit of the Reader's Digest. Okay. I mean, more than... 30 seconds, but less than an hour. (laughs) Okay. So on October 18th, 1973, a little baby boy was born. Should I move forward? Yeah. Okay. Skip yeah. A little so bit. Uh, listen, professionally <laughs> for 27 years of my life, I was a radio and television broadcaster. And as I tell everybody, I lived what I think was one of the most charmed lives that you can, you can have. I was lucky enough to be in the public eye. I was lucky enough to have incredible experiences. I was lucky enough to meet and hang out with and vibe with some of the people that are, you know, the most famous in the world. I had experiences that were what people call pinch me moments. And it was it was everything I could have dreamed up and more as a little 19-year-old kid from Minneapolis, Minnesota, who who got this bug to be a radio personality. So That is what I did for many, many years. And then in 2021, I had what you could call a mental breakdown, a redirection in my life. And I decided to take every single skill that I learned along the way in that radio and television career. And as I say to people now, I think I do the same thing that I used to do. I just use different words. Mm. And that's Mm. kind of where we are now. I, I, I take all those skills and I just apply them differently now. Yeah. And I like that you say that my background from where I was and where I am today, I feel like it's very similar. My background started in animal behavior and training. And let's be honest, training. Still working with animals today. (laughs) That's where she was going. Yes. (laughs) Training animals, training people, it's really all the same thing. It's compassion. It's consistency. It's positive reinforcement. Sure. I'm doing the same stuff. Right? I brought you coffee today. That's positive That's reinforcement. There it. it is. Right? I'm the dog and here is my treat. <laughs> <laughs> and and so we really do use some of these tools and these skills that we have as we go through this right. journey. That's beautiful. Okay. Eric, we're jumping to you. Tell us a little bit about you and your journey and your path to here. It all connects with us. Well, nobody, first of all, nobody brought me coffee, so I still I need that I really would try. It's a good thing I didn't <laughs> I, I, send you coffee. You're in a different place than I thought you would be. I See? am. I'm in uh, Chicago Office. at the moment giving a keynote here in a couple of hours. My journey's a little different. Actually, it's a lot different. So 24 years ago, I started in sales and sales leadership. I've been in that industry, in the tech space for, again, 24, almost 25 years. In April of 20. 17, a lot changed. We'll talk about that a little throughout the course of the day. But basically, my life, my journey as a father changed pretty significantly. And it took me three years to decide to really start addressing it, addressing what had happened in April of 2017. So in August of 2020, I started a podcast. I started a podcast all about leadership and culture. I started a podcast really in hindsight, in an effort to go through a healing process, something I knew that I needed to experience. But while I was experiencing it, I was going to go through that with the listeners. And it's been an incredible journey. We're, I think, 150-ish episodes in. And I would say in the last 
three and a half years since that podcast started, I've had a lot of those pinch me moments because I've had the opportunity to have conversations with people that from the founder of Reebok to the CEO of Anytime Fitness and all of these executives that in my life's work, I never would have otherwise encountered. And we've had some really in-depth conversations far beyond just their role as leaders in their individual businesses. Wow, we have a lot of common commonalities, Eric. And, yeah, it sounds like it. And those conversations that you're talking about, that they go deeper than talking about culture and leadership, those are the best conversations. Karen knows from being in here, and there's just a beautiful thing, and you know from the podcast that, you, that you've done, there's just a beautiful thing that happens once you start these conversations. You kind of crack everyone open. But then, Eric, to your point, it's very therapeutic and healing for all of us, too. I know through the few years that I've been doing this podcast, and Karen knows she's been with me on the whole journey. Actually, it's her fault. I'll blame her. <laughs> she's the one who <laughs> encouraged me to even start this, to kind of like you, Eric. I was kind of figuring out the what's the direction? It was COVID. People do weird shit during COVID. My weird thing was like, hey, let's, okay, let's start yep. a podcast, right? And it went beyond what I really thought, bringing in these leaders, having these deep conversations, then bringing in individuals with resources that folks could tap into for culture. Mm. Then beyond yeah. that, not even just the resources to tap into for improving company culture, but for improving yourself. So my kind of journey has been over these few years. And honestly, the last six months, I've been able to take all of these resources and really tap into them for me to grow and change. I'll be honest, I've done more yoga and meditation in the last six months than I have in my whole life. And now I'm like, okay, I'm putting the pieces, I'm figuring it out. And so I love that all three of us, four of us, because Karen, too, with having these conversations and, and diving into growth and culture and leadership, all these things tie in together. Eric, you know from having these conversations. And so I want to kind of start this conversation. Ooh, actually, just kidding. I'm going to back up a second. Karen, I want you to give us a little bit of your backstory too, so that people understand why I looped you into this conversation as well. I appreciate that. Uh, and Eric, I thought of you as you were sharing that you had spoken about your journey as it was happening. That's very similar for me. Before the world went dark for COVID in 2019, October 2019, my then husband shot himself and survived the gunshot wound through his head and lived on for uh, up until November 7th of this past year. And my um, the third day um, waking up with him in the hospital in the trauma intensive care unit, I woke to, I'll call it God, the universe, whatever, saying to me as loud as possibly could be, you are going to talk about this as it's happening. And I have always been very candid about my life, going through postpartum depression with my older two who are now in their late 20s. My then-husband, Mike, and I uh, have a 16, now 16-year-old 16 together who is still home with me at the time. And I thought, oh, no, you can't ask me to talk about this while it's happening. Like, I've, uh, you know, <laughs> this is something that's not my story, and it's too private and too taboo and scary for people. And then the next thing I heard was, I've prepared you your whole life for this. 
And mm. I thought, mother <laughs> fucker. <laughs> yeah. Really, you're telling me that I've been in love with a man for 15 years, clueless that there was a mental health challenge there. I knew there was some addiction challenges and thought we were working through that. But to have the love of my life land in the hospital at his his own decision, I guess. I don't know how to speak to that candidly. And being called to talk about it so that people could learn through my experience, but also be extraordinarily respectful of Mike's own journey was a very hard task. And I have owned and operated Phoenix Business Rooks for almost seven years now, and I chose to keep everything open. I'm grateful for people like Kendra and my other customers and clients, as well as my team and just an incredible community of people around me who kept me propped up. And I will tell you that within the last, Kendra knows, I think maybe the last nine months, I finally have found my footing. I've had, and I don't know if I can call it PTSD, you know, uh, from mm. a clinical perspective, but the the many starts and restarts and stops and pauses and confusion and conflict, going through a divorce, trying to help help him restore, losing him and his family, and then losing him again to actually passing away peacefully, thankfully, in his sleep just as recent as a couple months ago. I have been under immense pressure, <laughs> a lot of it put on by myself, not knowing how to navigate the trauma and the chaos. So I'm grateful for Kendra in so many ways. <laughs> Uh, she really was one of the people who came to me right away through a text and said, whatever you need to keep that studio open and as much time as you need it, I will be there for you. And I came in on a Sunday, I think it was, showed her how to press a few buttons, and she ran the studio for me for almost a year and a half. So when she was looking at making a career change, it just made sense to you know, reciprocate and give her the gift. So I'm right there with you guys. Vulnerability is key. Authenticity is key. And I, I, I hope that we get in the conversation today you guys, as we talk about those, sometimes those words land differently for people. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I think folks um, maybe misconstrue or they haven't done the work enough to know really what authenticity and vulnerability means. It doesn't mean we're verbally vomiting or, or you know, throwing all of our stuff on top of people in a way that's damaging, because I think some of that's going on with some of our influencers and, and some of what we're seeing. So and then again, circling it back to, Kendra, your point around culture, you know, our businesses, our communities, our schools, our places of worship, we, we've got to be there for each other because all of us have a story and something going on behind the scenes, mm -hmm. and we can really powerfully lift each other up when we get centered and grounded. So on that note, thank you for having Karen, me. Karen, can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. So, so much, in fact, you've basically just given the keynote presentation I'll be giving here in the next hour or so, but so much of what I have found, and maybe I'll give a little bit of background. In 2017, our 16-year-old decided that she no longer wanted to be in relationship with us. That includes mom, dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents. Uh, we've since had a child that my daughter doesn't know exists. He's four. My daughter, I found out through the grace of social media, has a daughter. That makes me a grandfather. I don't know my granddaughter's date of birth. I do not know her name. Last three years, my sister-in-law passed away unexpectedly of alcohol addiction. We lost a baby to miscarriage. Like We've had what I'll call life's experiences. And for a while, from probably 2017 until I started the podcast, I just thought I was on my own because social media is a highlight reel and nobody else is suffering. And what I found, Karen, when I started becoming public, and again, not 
vomiting on people, but just sharing some of the things that I was going through, particularly in the business world. What I found is vulnerability begets vulnerability. So people that knew I lost my sister-in-law to alcohol, people I've known for 15, 20 years were coming to me saying, where do I get started on my addiction journey? What do you wish your sister-in-law had done? Or, hey, I haven't talked to my dad in 25 years. I want you to know there's hope. We reconciled a year ago. The people that I'm closest with didn't share these stories because they too felt like they were alone. I imagine, Karen, much the same for you. You probably felt like you were alone at the beginning of that until you shared with others. Different for me. I I had a really broad and wide community through social media, Mm -hmm. Facebook in particular at the time, and had been doing that for, oh my gosh, I think 10 years before that. And the way that I'm, I think I'm wired is really, I wear my heart and my life on my sleeve. And so I, again, I didn't want to speak to it because it was so uniquely different and so private for so many people. And yet, to your point, I have had at least seven or probably even eight people either reach out via text, phone call, private message on on social media saying, you need to know that you've saved my life or you need to know that you saved the life of, of my spouse or my boyfriend or my child because every day that you posted a journal entry, every day you spoke about what was going on from your perspective as a loved one, I was able to read this to you know, my my spouse or my kiddo or really see it through my own lens as an addict, as somebody who's struggling with addiction and or mental health. And that that's huge to me. Uh, and and it, now that I'm over that hurdle and, and Mike is no longer in our life, hasn't been for several years and, and of course now has has passed on, I'm trying to find how do I continue to be a beacon of hope and a beacon of light for folks without having to carry this heavy bag of of mental health along with me because I want to be in a different place. I want to function at a higher vibration for me. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. I was called to do it, didn't want to do it, but it was also very familiar with me. And I knew right away that that I that I had people around me. I couldn't love this talk more. I mean, this is you're right. You've you've assembled a good group of people, (laughs) right? This is this is strong. And what you're essentially talking about, Karen and Eric and all of us is when these experiences happen, they they set up within us a story. Mm-hmm. And that's the tale that we tend to tell each other. And, you know, when you get, especially when you get into these private matters, when, you know, when somebody, did, you know, attempts suicide and then something later or losing a daughter. Uh, in, in my case, you know, it was a volatile upbringing and the shocking death of my father that I witnessed, right? So we've all been through these crazy traumatic situations. and 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 to me, when you talk about leadership, this is the first thing that I fundamentally think that our leaders need to come to understand is that you have employees. And if you've got 200 employees, you can expect that you've got 200 people that have been through some serious shit before, Mm -hmm. and there's no way around it. That shows up with them when they show up to the office. That comes with them when they walk through the front door. Mm -hmm. And, And there's so many pieces to this that are worth talking about, but the story is one that I love to focus on because we absolutely, as individuals, have to learn a way for us to set that story down, or we're just going to keep bringing it yes. with us every single place we go. There's no benefit to that. Once, once you've done the work a little bit and cycled through it a little, it's my belief fundamentally yeah. that things happen for you so that when it's somebody else's turn, you can help them. That's it. 
Don't ask the creator any more questions. Mm -hmm. Why did this happen to you? So that when it's somebody else's turn, you can help them. That's it. We're just all here for each other. Ram Dass says we're all just walking each other home. And it couldn't be more correct. You get to be, Karen, a beacon of hope for people that have been in and around that world of suicide, which tragically is upticking like we, we can't even believe, right? Eric, you get to be that beacon of hope for people that are struggling with family drama and children and just all of the things that come with that. I get to be this beacon of hope for people that have been through a really challenging childhood mm -hmm. and have witnessed a tragic event uh, of, of them, of their, uh, of themselves is what I'm trying to spit out. And so that's it. That's cool. To me, there's a lot of power in that and you don't have to feel down or bad about it. Like, yeah. and, and you don't even have to carry the weight of that anymore. It just becomes this event that took place and it doesn't get any more weight or more value other than it showed you who you are, and now you get to be that person for other people. Eric, I can feel you like you want to jump in, so so go. Well, ahead. it got to a point after year five where I embraced. Listen, it's twenty four hundred and seventy three days since I've spoken to her. I only know that because I'm doing my keynote, and that's a part of the keynote. If she walks in the door tomorrow, my life changes. Mm -hmm. But I have embraced this as something I cannot control. I have embraced this as something I can now share with others and I'm not happy about it, but I can't change it. And the conversations that it has led to, particularly with the estranged relationship with our daughter is unbelievable. I'm going through this to your point because nobody else wanted to talk about it. But as soon as I chose to start the conversation, in what felt very vulnerable at first, I realized, I mean, I've had hundreds, if not thousands of people, some I know, some I will never know that reached out. And I got one that said, March 17th, 1987. It was a note on LinkedIn. I had no idea how to respond. So I didn't because it was uncomfortable. And then about three weeks later, he responds to me again and says, that's the last time I spoke to my mom. And it started a dialogue. All of this starts a dialogue. And that's the important part is that we start talking about some of this stuff. Yeah. And, and I want to just articulate and, and I don't know, I would love to see how you guys feel about this. But to me, we get so caught up in when something happens to us, that feeling of like, I don't want to talk about this. I can't talk about this. I shouldn't talk about this. It's mm -hmm. too private. Nobody should, should, should know about that. And we get stuck in a world where we, then, then we, then we never say anything about it and mm -hmm. we keep it all in. And then that garbage just comes with us everywhere we go. And as I like to tell people when I work with them, it's like, listen, you're not talking about this so you can blast your mom on TMZ. Right. Like, that's not what this is. Yeah. This isn't about you airing all the dirty laundry that came and through your family. This is about you making a choice to, to work through it. Mm -hmm. And you can't work through it silently. Well, you just so, can't. What's so interesting to me about it Sorry, Kendra, we've taken over. The three of us have taken over your show. Go but when <laughs> initially I thought, well, I'll share this story. I'll share my story mm -hmm. with my friends, the people I'm just the closest with. But what I found is sharing that story with the people that were kind of on the outside edge, in particular in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I think so often in the workplace, we shy away 
from the authenticity, as Karen called it. But when I get real with my employer and they know the stuff I'm going through, mm -hmm. then all of the sudden they don't put me on a performance plan on Monday because I didn't turn in my TPS report this week. Their understanding of the things that I'm going through, they know it's a rough week or it's been a rough month and they do the TPS report for me. They talk to me about it on Thursday. Hey, Eric, I know you're going through some stuff. Why don't I do that report for you this week? Let's sync up on Tuesday and talk about what else I can do mm -hmm. to support you. But I think we just fear if I go tell my boss I'm an alcoholic, if I go tell my boss I'm struggling mentally, or if I go to whatever, that we're putting ourselves at risk. And I actually think we're protecting ourselves and walking the journey of a healing in a much more prominent fashion. So let me ask you, Eric, uh, because I think this is, I don't think, I know, this is a critical tool to people being able to do this themselves. How do you have those hard conversations? This is probably my favorite topic to discuss. Mm -hmm. How do you have those difficult conversations? Like, you're not just gonna walk into your boss's office and be like, so I'm a raging alcoholic and I'm having a really tough week. That, that, that yeah. That's not how that sequence opens up, right? Yeah. And so give me your uh, opinion and maybe, I mean, everybody in the room, I'd love to know, how do you guys embark on difficult conversations? And, and what I want our listeners to focus on is the key here is the opening line. How do you open up the dialogue to hard conversations? So I would say some of it starts long before that tough conversation needs yeah. to happen. Yeah. I need to start uh, some level of quote unquote vulnerability with not just my boss, but my boss needs to do it with me. Yeah. So we need to share, we need to build relationship capital with each other early for the people listening, saying, I'm not going through any of this stuff. I can assure you that you will. And if it's not something that we've talked about, it'll be something else. It'll be a diagnosis, the loss of a loved one. It'll be something. Mm -hmm. If we wait to have the conversation until it happens, that's when it becomes a difficult conversation. Yeah. But my wife and I have got seven kids. My boss knows that. My boss knows that I'm going to scoot out early on occasion. My boss knew that we were pregnant. I let them in <laughs> a little bit to where now they're asking me, hey, how's your 17-year-old doing? Did he have a good weekend? How did he wrestle? Those seemingly insignificant things start the relationship with your boss or with your employer or with the people that work for you. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, to your point, you're going to have to have the tough conversation because someone that doesn't have the relationship with their boss is going to need to go in and say, hey, I'm struggling. I need some help. But start where you're comfortable. It doesn't need to be, hey, my husband just X or my wife just X. It's, hey, I need a couple of days. I, like, I apologize. I need you to cover for me. I'm having a family emergency. So then a couple of days later, when you go to them, mm -hmm. they were prepared. They had some idea that something was off. Love, love that. I'd love to plus one that for whether we have a relationship that is uh, trustworthy or not. Sometimes we don't have an opportunity to build that. And the moment is there that we need support. And so there's a couple of things that I phrase with my clients when I'm working through trauma mm -hmm. and integrative relationships. I would encourage folks to start by saying something like, I have something to tell you and I'm feeling and then insert afraid, nervous, uncomfortable, horrified, whatever it is. And then here's the most important piece of that. The story that I'm telling myself is that when I tell you, Matthew, that 
I'm an alcoholic and I'm struggling, you're going to fire me. Mm-hmm. Right. So now I've, I've spoken to how I feel. I've spoken to the situation and I've been able to separate myself a little bit from that so that you can really see me through the lens in which I've just laid it out. So again, I'll call it a script for lack of a word. And that's funny because I am not one for scripts. That's why I do it. They need an entry. point. It's an entry point. Yeah. So it is, I have something to tell you and I'm scared out of my mind when I get ready to do this because the story that I'm telling myself is, is that you're going to divorce me or you're going to disown me or you're going to you're going to tell other people or whatever that is and 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 then pause and give that person or people an opportunity to catch up with you mm-hmm. and then let them say whatever they need to stay next and check in with your physical body how you're responding what's going on for you and and just know that it's temporary and it's passing through you and then you can stay present to that conversation it's magic and again when I, I the universe said you're telling this story as it's happening and you've prepared your whole life for this i was blessed with years of therapy and coaching and guidance and all the things that i've done just to be the best version of myself man this was tough these last 4 years have been a real bitch and there's days that i've thought I, I want to shut it all down. I just want to go be a Starbucks barista in some little town that no one knows me and, you know, just uh, start over. And yet these kinds of conversations are are critical. So thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you. That's that's key. What she just said, right, is that idea of I, I believe the tee up sentence is critical. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm walking into the office. I have something to unload here that's I'm super uncomfortable about. Mm-hmm. I'm super anxious about this conversation, but I need to pull you in. I mean, the three more, four most powerful languages, uh, words in the English language are, will you help me? Yes. And when you ask somebody for help, almost nobody says no, unless they're a monster. Well, and that's why I love this conversation of how it ties company culture into people and humans. And Matthew, you said it. We're all going into the workplace. If a company has 500 employees, you have 500 bagged bags of shit <laughs> that they're yeah. all carrying with them. And so there's a couple of pieces of this. One is, to Karen's point, and to your question, Matthew, is starting the conversation. So often we keep all of these things to ourselves. We don't say anything. We fear that unknown of those few seconds. So we hold it on for for who knows how long, for months, for years, we hang on to these issues and these problems to have to work on and think that we have to solve by ourselves, all because of that conversation that's just a few seconds, and we fear that. Yes, it's an unknown conversation. There's an unknown outcome. Maybe you do work for a boss who's an asshole and you lose your job. Well, that's probably better than staying and working for that company anyway. And what if that conversation goes beautifully? Yes. And that boss goes, holy crap, I had no idea. Let me support you. Let me help you. Let me be part of this journey with you. And Eric, to one of your points too, it goes beyond that conversation. So one of the things that I am continuously talking with companies and teams about that I learned back from training animals, right, is the compassion piece you just have to have, right? Yeah. You have to have that compassion piece because we are humans and we all have our our stuff going on. 
But then there's this level of consistency. And so that's why this conversation is so important to have when it comes to discussing these things with company leaders and letting them be part of that journey of you being a human, because you can't just come in one day and have that hard conversation with your boss if you've never really connected with your boss before. If you're coming in with a situation like you, Eric, with the kids and and everything going on, and your boss is like, oh, you have seven kids? I didn't even know. Yeah. Like, it, that can't be the entry point of the compassion and the conversations. So the consistency has to start way before that so that you're having those connection points and you're starting to understand each other a little bit so that when you do have that moment of having to go in and and say, I'm going to have this tough conversation, it's a little bit more open and and ready. And well, it's primed, right? If you've already built that culture of consistency and conversa- conversation in it, right? To jump in really quick and just, <laughs> I just want to say to the listeners, then I'll go right back to you, but I, I do think it's important to understand, like, I get it. Not everybody has experienced suicide. Not everybody's daughter has walked away. Not everybody has watched their father die. And so we're not always talking about these gigantic T's, the gigantic traumas that yeah. happen, right? Sometimes it's an employee who just doesn't show up and you're part of a team. Sometimes it's an employee who dead ends you every single time you have to work with them. Sometimes it's somebody who's just horrible at communication and that produces a certain level of anxiety within people. So as we're having this discussion, I just want everybody to understand that it doesn't matter whether or not your, your trauma was huge or small this is the way to work through it is to have these conversations. So what were you going to say? And you might not be the one that had the trauma, right? But somebody else in that room did. Possibly. And so that compassion piece, maybe you didn't have those things, but somebody else in that room has, and that's an opportunity to support them. I think to your point, Matthew, it might be something as simple as I got into a car accident this morning. Right. Right. Just that awareness from your boss that it's not a great week. It's a Monday morning and it's not star. I'm fine, but I got in a car accident. And I'm going to say that if your boss, if you're listening and your boss has no relationship capital with you, it is incumbent upon you, the listener, to go build relationship capital with them. Invite them out for a cup of coffee. Sit in their office. Schedule time to simply get to know them. I mentioned that we had a, a fairly late stage miscarriage in November which is why I missed the show the first time. And prior to that, we had gotten a diagnosis that our little guy, Nash, was going to be born with Down syndrome. Now, I knew very little about Downs. There was some, I'll call it natural mourning in the process of like, oh, okay, this isn't what we thought we were getting. Let's go learn about Downs. We We were a little off emotionally for a couple of weeks as we were digesting this information. And I sat down with one of the companies I consult for And I just looked at Dan and I said, Dan, I'm a little off, man. I apologize. I've not been myself. I probably won't be myself. I'm just, I'm, I'm just sort of wrapping my mind around our little guy coming into the world with downs and the impact it has on us as we age and on our kids and just our life. It's just changed. And he looked at me and I never would have known this, but he responded, Eric, that's fantastic. And I was like, did you hear what I just said? He goes, Eric, I've got a 38-year-old brother. He's got Down syndrome. Forget the meeting today. Let's 
talk about the joy that you're about to experience and what I experienced as the older brother to a little guy with Downs and how much fun it is that eventually my wife and I get to take him in. And it forget work, forget the consulting project. He just loved me through it. I had a little bit of relationship capital and I opened up just a little bit and it changed our relationship. Yeah, you got to give people a chance to say yes. I, a yeah. thousand times in my life, didn't even give people the opportunity because I was so good at reading people because mm. of my trauma coming up, right? right? Like you get really good at reading situations when you come up that way, but you get so good at reading people that you you talk yourself out of these conversations and you go, yeah, well, I'm going to say this, they're going to say this, they're going to say this, and this is how it's going to end. Mm -hmm. And I know it. And the problem is that sometimes you're right. Sometimes you actually do embark on those conversations and exactly what you thought was going to play out did. And you go, well, see, and so you sort of build this, this thing up where you go, yeah, I already know what's going to happen. So I'm not going to do it, but I'm telling you, like Wayne Gretzky says, you miss 99% of the shots you don't take. And you got to be willing to take them though. And that's what we're, we're talking about, yeah. right? We're, are we ever a hundred percent prepared for that hard conversation? Absolutely not. Are we hundred percent prepared for life, you know, a life changing event? We're not. I can think of Kendra knows uh, David Steinmetz. He does his show here for Arizona Industries with the Blind. And it's called Changing Perception of the Blindness, one conversation at a time. And going into the holiday, he decided to have his three brothers on with him, one of them which uh, also uh, doesn't have eyesight any longer. And they talked about what this is like for them as a family. They're both, I think, in their, forgive me, David, probably 50, you know, somewhere in their 50s. And both of them lost their sight when they're in their mid-20s. And they said on air, we've never had these conversations as a family before. Right. And David had to be willing to say, could you come on and let's have this conversation? And that's how he's been using this platform. These conversations are critical. And, and I, I just want to go back to something Matthew said when you were talking about, um, you know, the big T. So for our listeners and viewers, if you're not familiar with trauma and just personal responsibility and growth around moving through that, trauma gets stuck in our body, mm -hmm. right? Physically, there's so many great books out there right now uh, around the impact that trauma has on us. And to your point, we've all experienced some sort of trauma, whether it's a car accident, as was mentioned earlier, or we've, we've witnessed a breakup. a breakup, or even I always give the example of a third grade kiddo. My, I've got three kids. My youngest, he walked into his class late one day. The teacher had kids up in a little circle uh, reading to the class, and she looked up, and they were thrilled to see him because he's the class clown and great, you know, great kid and a lot of vibration, but also a huge disruption. And she looked up, and she said, oh, we were having a great day until you got here. Okay. Oh. And crushed, crushed my kid. That is little t trauma. Yep. Right? So, the, and then that statement then gets internalized. I could go in there and that might not have impacted me, right? But for my kiddo, that impacted him heavily. The rest of the day, his head was down. He was crushed. He came home. You're not going to believe what she said. I thought she liked me. And he started making decisions about himself and the world in which he lives in based on that, that teacher. Now, she's a great teacher. She had already taught my other two kids 10 years before that. Didn't mean it. But the way it landed in his body had we not known how to extract it and help him integrate it and not own that as law, that could have impacted him. 
And so the kind of conversations that we're having are so important for business owners and executive leaders and everybody involved in community, especially in the workplace, is to Kendra's point. We all have got these stories running around in our head that we were, we were given somewhere along the way, and we made it mean something about ourselves. And so if we can have more people in our lives who can help guide us through that healing process and integrate it and clean it up mm-hmm. so that we're whole— we're golden. I always say to folks, look, we've got a chronological age. How old am I? I'm 59 years old. And thank God, because of the work that I've done, I'm also emotionally 59-year-old most days. <laughs> and when I'm not, I get to ask myself, how old am I showing up today? Oh, that's my 13-year-old. She needs a little love and a little care, a little bit of time. Yeah. And so really— We're going to need a separate hour for right? inner child <laughs> ones. Yeah, we're going to yeah. need a second hour it, for inner child but ones the point, it's a yeah. huge deal. But the point is, when I show up to, in front of my boss yeah. and she's yelling at me, and she's acting as if she's a 13-year-old because she's pissed. And then I react and I'm seven. No wonder why don't we don't get anywhere because we go to those core wounds and we stay there until we have some of this education, this opportunity to make those shifts so that we can really be compassionate to Kendra's point, to be respectful, to be vulnerable, to be open, and then move beyond the storyline. Yeah. And that's the that's the part of this is to have these conversations so that you can gain the resources and you can move beyond that storyline. I lost my dad a handful of years ago, and that was that moment of I I didn't have the conversations about it. I went into for my mom very much a, a business role. I had to go do ashes and death certificate and shit like that. I didn't get to actually grieve and and work through what was happening. By the time I did, I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have people around me having these conversations to help guide me through. So what did I do? Whoop! I shut my mouth. I shut my heart and soul up. And for about the next five, six years, I didn't do anything about it. And now fast forward, it's been almost, it's been nine years now. I don't count because then it makes it like real, but it's been nine years. And the work that I have done has been over the last year. And that's it. Because I have people having these conversations and because I have the resources and the tools to tap into, because I, I can do trauma work and I can focus on trauma from that night when my dad passed away on Christmas that come, hey, guess what, guys? Christmas happens every year. <laughs> and now it's very different. But this past year, I've been able to work through it in a way. Again, because I finally decided to have these conversations and use the resources and tap into them and use the trauma work that I've been introduced to and all of these pieces. And then, right, the other beautiful piece that happens, like, like Eric and and Matthew, you've both said, and Karen too, then other people go, oh shit, I had no idea. I lost my dad too. I lost my dad on this holiday. I don't know how to deal with this. And then I get to go, oh, guess what? I have all these partners and resources and people that can support you. Now I get to transform my traumatic experience to now be a resource and a toolkit to help other people. And then when you take all of this and back to, you know, dumping it into the workplace, now why can't we just 
be tools for each other and be able to lean in, even if it's just listening or it's providing the resources and support, but recognizing that you have all of these people that, to your point, Matthew, earlier, maybe maybe that individual didn't have something happen, but they know somebody who had it happen or had somebody else had you know, something traumatic happen. And it's just this, this interconnected web of support. But if we all stayed separate, we all just kind of kept it to ourselves, then we're all going to carry our baggage of shit, right? I have a question for the room. What is, what? and Eric, I'm sorry, I wasn't looking at you. Do you want to jump in really quick and then I'll ask my question? (laughs) I I just want to tell a super quick story because I think, Matthew, you brought something up earlier. We talked about building relationship capital and having the ability and not waiting. If you have something big, and I'm going to tell a short story and it's a big one. If you have that big thing, don't wait. Go have the conversation today. I had a buddy Uh, about five years ago, called me out of the blue. We hadn't talked for maybe a year. And he goes, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm back. And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, my wife didn't call you? Mm. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, Eric, you probably knew this, but I was an alcoholic for 15 years. I was an alcoholic and I I was using prescription medication and abusing prescription medication. And I just woke up one day and I couldn't do it anymore. And I walked into my boss's office and I shut the door and said, I can't do this anymore. I know you're going to fire me, but I need to go get help. And his boss picked up his cell phone, seemingly the rudest thing possible and started texting while my friend is having a conversation. And then his boss looked up at him from his cell phone and said there will be a van here in two Mm. hours or they can come to your house. We as a company are behind you 100%. There's a 90-day program that we are partnered with. And if you go to your home, they will pick you up. Now, Jason, my buddy, called me about a month after we reconnected after his 90-day program and said, Eric, I got the bill. And I said, oh boy, I bet you 90 days in a rehab treatment facility is not cheap because it cost me $1,000. I said, what? He goes, Eric, it cost me $1,000. The company paid for it. And he says, my mentor is someone in the business that has gone through something similar. And I introduced myself on site and that person was the janitor. So whether you're Hmm. the janitor or a top executive, Businesses are behind you. The people behind those businesses are behind you. They want you to show up personally and professionally to be the best version of yourself possible. You just need to raise your hand and say, I'm not where I want to be. Yeah. And to Eric's point, replacing you costs the company so much money. Hiring costs companies so much money. They would much rather, I think, if they have the opportunity, they'd much rather work with people than than have to blow somebody out and train somebody new and hire somebody new. As as we wind down, I want to ask a question because I think this is applicable. There is this point, though, where shit has to get done. There is a moment where the on-air light goes on Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff can't matter for for a little while. And so what is y'all's opinion about this? In hockey, we call it, so I'm a hockey coach and uh, the sports psychologists there, they call it performance on demand, 
once you reach 14 years old, you have to have the ability to perform on demand. That's the switch that a 12-year-old to a 14-year-old to a 16-year-old to an 18-year-old takes, right? And I like that concept. And as a high performer myself in the radio and television business, listen, if I walked into the radio station every single morning with all my stuff, it would have been the most boring show on planet Earth. There were, you know, there, there, there comes a time where you absolutely must get things done. And so in your estimation, Eric, and I can start with you, what, 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 is that, what does that mean, dude? Like there's a time and a place for everything. And so what's your advice to somebody who has one of those high pressure, you know, high pressure jobs where honestly, what they're thinking about or their emotions, they aren't really important right now because maybe they're a doctor and their job is to save somebody else's life that day. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they're a police officer and their job is to protect somebody else that day. How does that, po how does that person navigate their life? I would say if we're at a point where we can't physically do our job, if you're a police officer and you're struggling in a way that doesn't allow you to do the job, then you need to have that conversation. But I would say for the large majority of us, my Uber driver last night has a very important role. The biggest job he can do in that moment is maintain his income so he can pay the bills. And so as difficult as it is to say, I've gone 2,473 days without speaking to my oldest daughter. I've got, unfortunately, generally speaking, I've got to pick myself up and get through the day because I have an obligation to my other six kids, because I have an obligation to pay my mortgage, because I have an obligation to do things to continue running my team, my organization, and do the things that matter for the people around me. And that doesn't mean that I'm not going to have moments throughout the day when I tear up or when I need to journal or when I need to call my wife or my therapist. But all things considered, the most important thing I can do from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. for me in sort of your typical eight to five job is go care well for my family and the people around me. And it's so difficult to do. There were days early. There are still days today where it's like, man, 2,500 days is coming up. That's going to like, that's just going to smack me in the face. I don't know how functional I'm going to be that day, but I can plan for that because I know that that big number is going to hit me in the face. And so I, I hate to say, just get up and go to work. But for most of us, we just need to get up and go to work. I don't know if you, I don't know, Matthew, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but that's kind of my take. Yeah, no, I would say you have to pick your spots, right? That's yeah. what it yeah. is. Like you can't just keep going, getting up and going to work every day. You're going to need to take a day. You're going to need to take a week. You're going to need to call your boss and say, yeah. I might need yeah. a 90 day program. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the answer I was fishing for. It's like most of us need to pick up, you know, we need to get up and go. But you cannot neglect yourself forever or you will lose. And let's yeah. not neglect ourselves to the point that something's going to happen and we are going to flatline or we're is. going yeah. we're not going to be able to function again trauma yes. can be a physical reaction so i might be able to compartmentalize and not get you know triggered by things and then land in a meeting and then my body starts having a physical reaction a stroke yeah. a heart attack palpitations anxiety wh whatever it is and so i think my suggestion would be Start being a student of yourself. There it is. Whether you're reading books, listening to podcasts, audiobooks, going to seminars, retreats, hiring a counselor, a therapist, a trauma guide. There are so many resources out there. Many of them are free. Become an advocate. Become the most effective and most important advocate and your own best friend so that when these things happen, and they're going to happen, mm -hmm. you know how to navigate. You have tool set. I had a call at 4 o'clock this morning when I woke up by a client's husband. And his voicemail was, 
Uh, Shanna's brother just died in a car accident last night. I know she's going to need you. Could you uh, reach out? And so I called him right back. She's still at the hospital with her dad. And there's, you know, some history there. And I called her when she called me back. She said, I'm so grateful that I'm prepared for these moments. And to your point a moment ago, she is going through the police academy right now. So she knew going into this very important role (laughs) that she needed to have a real sense of self so that she could be of service to others. And part of that meant really knowing how to handle her emotions and knowing how to let them pass through her. So these conversations are rich and real. Kendra, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And we've got to do the work today so that we're prepared for tomorrow and help our employees through it. Yeah. And that's that balance of, yes, there's the conversations and the communication with your employer so they can be part of some of these pieces too. But then to your point, Karen, you being the student of your own journey, like I mentioned, I've done more work on myself in this last maybe six, seven months. I'll be gracious and say a year, but it's six, seven months than I have done in my entire life. And so now I can have those moments of taking care of myself whether that client or that customer or that boss supports me in that journey, right? So there is very much this balance. Obviously, it all ties in with people and company culture, but then also understanding and learning how to tackle it on your on your own as well. It it's all pieces. I want to I want to wrap up with a, a quick story. And it's funny, Karen held up the 45 minute sign. Matthew said, Oh, is we wind down? I'm ignoring both of them. Because <laughs> you're, allowed, you're allowed to do I that. Just want this Listen, to Eric's the only one that's got a heart out, I think. He's had a keynote. <laughs> but there's this balance of both sides. So there was a, a company CEO that came to me a little bit ago, and we had already built a rapport. And she had come to me and said, I I need some resources for my staff for mental health. And first off, I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. Like the fact that you're asking this question, awesome. Let's see how we can help. And also why? What's going on? Let's dig into the pieces. And what I found out was she has a team of about 16 people. Within the last year, she's had about six or seven of the staff has had somebody pass away. Somebody close a child, a sibling, a parent. As we've talked about, right? That is extremely traumatic and you're going to take that with you. Thankfully, we had built a little bit of a rapport. And so along with giving her some resources to tap into and resources that I have used, right? For for dealing with loss and trauma and grief, I could speak to the resources I was sharing with her. So again, being able to bring in my story to help with those folks on her team and their journey. And then in that conversation, I essentially called bullshit on her bereavement plan. And she had a beautiful bereavement plan with plenty of time for them to take off. The problem was it was for them to take off right then. And then they come back to work. Mm. And I was able to speak on the fact that 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 timeline of grief doesn't happen right then. Even with me, with the company that I was working for at the time when my dad passed away, great company, but I'll be honest, I don't remember the leave because I I didn't need it then. I need it now on my dad's birthday. I'll never work on October 2nd. And, and so that was part of the conversation that I got to have with her is I don't care if you give them two months of bereavement right now. That doesn't mean shit in three years when it is the date that that child passed away or the date, right, that you stopped talking with your daughter. 
those are the days that you need that support for your team. That's what you need to figure out. So that balance, again, how do you take care of yourself? But then if employers can be flexible on supporting in those moments too. The one thing I know we're wrapping up, the one thing that I will say we can all do right now to build relationship capital with the people around us, your kids, your spouse, your significant other, coworkers, your boss, the barista at the coffee shop, just put your phone down, hmm. leave it in the car, put it in a, put it in a basket when you walk in the house, hmm. expect the same of those around you, but being present will change the conversation. That's a beautiful way to end this. So we've talked about relationship capital. We've talked about something as simple as putting your phone down, listening, starting these compassionate conversations early on before there's that moment of dire need for support. I am, one, I'm very sad (laughs) that we're wrapping this up. Um, I knew that this would be a phenomenal conversation with the three of you. And Karen, I'm so glad that you got to jump in on this conversation too. Um, there's been many times where I've said we need a part two. And I, I think I mean it most when I say it right now, we need a part two. So as we start to step away, I do want to play a quick sponsor um, piece again, because, and and if James was here to add to the conversation, I think that would be another beautiful piece of this. That's why Gateway Bank is a sponsor, because we have built a relationship. It's not just, hey, let's be a sponsor. We've built a relationship. And James, the CEO of Gateway Bank, has told his story of having a mental health breakdown. And he has been very forward and honest with his staff. He's the CEO of a bank. And he had to come to his staff and say, I can't do this anymore. And he had to focus on his mental health needs. And now he's been able to support his staff in theirs too. And so I am honored to be able to wrap up this conversation and share this piece about Gateway Bank. And then we'll um, we'll do one last wrap up on how folks can reach you guys after we hear from Gateway. Okay. Remember when your banker knew you and cared about you? This experience still exists at Gateway Bank, the only community bank in Mesa, Arizona, serving customers Valley and nationwide. With Gateway, you get the fast personal service of a small bank with the convenience, security, and stability of a large one. Whether you need a loan or banking services for your business, they're here for you. Visit gcbaz.com slash culture crush for details and a free consultation with Gateway President James Christensen. So as we wrap up today's conversation and our our ticking timeline that I wish didn't exist, I do want to give both of you just a quick moment of a final thought. I know both of you have some amazing things coming up. Eric, we didn't even talk about your book. So that needs to be (laughs) another. uh, That's okay, because that'll give me a little bit of time to finish your book, too. Um, So I want to give both of you just a quick moment your final thought, Eric, I'm going to start with you since you're on the screen and we're looking up at you now. Yeah, it all starts. It really all starts with us being present. I mean, with all four of us have stories of that moment when we realize we, in fact, everybody listening has a moment where they realize they have no idea what just happened, whether they were driving or sitting on the couch with their kids, they weren't present in the moment. So putting your phone down, being present to the people around you is absolutely critical to culture and leadership. Thank you. And 
please mention your book and then how people can find you, connect with you. I mean, obviously you and your fabulous glasses are all over LinkedIn, but aside from that, how can folks reach you? LinkedIn's a great way to connect with me. My website's simple. It's just ericbrooker.com. The book is titled You Are Enough, Overcoming Lifelong Doubts of Worthiness. (laughs) And then I'm going to do something. I know. I know. We'll go to the shirt. And and I'm going to do one thing I love doing. And please feel free to take me up on it. Call me 480-296-9777. It's my cell phone number. I'll answer the phone. I'll respond to texts. I'm calling you right now, dude. No, he has a key. Ah, <laughs> wait till the show's over. Give him a couple hours. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. I'm so glad we got to do this. All right, sir. Matthew, final thoughts. The whole time we've been talking, there was a sequence of words that changed my life when I went through my retreat, when I walked away from my career. And it was this simple concept that when these things happen to us, We feel really busted up and broken. We feel discombobulated all over the place. And this this guy, Troy, said to me one time, he said, you know, you are not broken. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you. You just have to step into your purpose more. Mm. And what he meant there is that we need to start taking care of ourselves again. And what do I mean when I say that? It's not just about sleep and food and all exercise and, and the staples, but it's having hard conversations. It's looping family members into things that are happening to you. It's looping bosses into things that are going on at home. That's truly what it means to take care of yourself and take care of your needs. And my final thought is you cannot exist in a world where everything that people want is more important than what you need. Mm. Will you say that again? can't live in a world where everything that people want is more important than what you need. I think that is a beautiful way to wrap this. Matthew, folks that are listening when they want to reach out to you, how do they do that? Yeah, the site is set up. My podcast and speaking series are called Learn From People Who Lived It. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. just like we're doing here today, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I just, I believe so much in the power of storytelling and that concept that I mentioned earlier, which is when something happens for you, it happens so that you can help somebody else when it's their turn. And so the podcast and speaking series, Learn From People Who Lived It, is designed to do just that. We help people share their stories in a way that's meaningful for other people. Beautiful. Thank you. And to everyone for listening, my heart is very happy. And I've been like super, my heart's been racing this whole time in the conversation. And now I just feel very calm, uh, connected with the both of you. I'm so thankful. To everyone that's been listening, this is another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. We talk about everything from company culture to these hard conversations of mental health, self-care, One of the biggest things that I love about this podcast is that behind the podcast is an entire company of resources. So Cultural Crush Business is a resource hub for finding the right resources. So if you're listening to these conversations and you really do need that extra support, you forgot Eric's number and you want to call him um, and you're looking for those resources, trauma integration therapy, grief retreats, whatever it is, we have them. We can share them. That's what we do. So thank you again for listening to another episode, Culture Crush Business Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush, the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. 
If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com.